0: Hello, I'm Joseph Scholz. Welcome to the Deep Culture Podcast, where we explore culture and the science of mind. This is a podcast for people who are moving between different cultural worlds, living in foreign countries, speaking foreign languages. And we talk about intercultural experiences, and we also dig into the science and the psychology of culture and mind. This is episode two. I'm here with Yvonne Vanderpol. Hi, Yvonne. Hi, Joseph. Great to have you here. We're going to be co-hosting this first season of the Deep Culture Podcast, and I'm thrilled to have you with me. You are in the Netherlands
1: now? I'm in the Netherlands, and it's also great to be here part of this process and the podcasting series.
0: And I'm speaking to you from California, of course. I am based in Tokyo, but I'm with family here. It's not a good time to travel during this pandemic, but we're making do. I am so happy to be doing this podcast with you. Uh, You know, I love the intercultural work that we both do, and I'm fascinated by the questions of culture and mind that we're going to be talking about. And I'm just Thrilled to get to share this podcast experience with you. How are you feeling about this podcast?
1: Well, actually, it's the first time that I'm recording podcasts in this series. And uh, when you came up with the idea, I was like, okay, podcasts. Never thought about recording it, you know, in our own projects. But I enjoy the experience and, um, and look forward to do this, actually. And, and it creates, well, it's a process of creativity.
0: Well, and you and I have been collaborating for quite a while. Uh, And I remember when we first met at a conference in Tallinn. Do you remember when that was?
1: Yeah, it was back in uh, 2013. I
0: actually looked up the title of the workshop that I gave, which you came to and which was the first time that we met. And the title was... Did you? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So this is so what this is, the
1: title? <laughs> this is the
0: title of the workshop that you signed up for, cultural neuroscience and the international brain, new paradigms for intercultural educators, trainers, and researchers. Wow, <laughs> that's that's a heavy that's a heavy title. <laughs>
1: <laughs> did I sign up for that? <laughs> for
0: a, for a whole day to talk about that? Um, do you? What was your impression? Why did you sign up for something like that?
1: Yeah, why did I sign up? Well, actually, I was interested in in brain and how it relates to learning, how it relates to culture. If it does at that time, you know, I didn't have a lot of understanding yet about brain and. Then you also came up with Mind, which was for me like also a new field, like how to relate that to the whole context. Uh, so I signed up out of curiosity and interest and uh, well, it was a nice day, actually.
0: How do you look back? Well, I have great memories of that day and I, I remember the content less than I remember the people. Uh, it's great to be with a group of people who shares a deep interest in this topic I was also thinking back on this title and that it's actually quite similar to the content of the podcast that we're going to be doing. The title of this was Cultural Neuroscience, which is a fairly recent uh, specialty, which not a lot of people know about, I think, and the international brain. And I don't now use the term international brain. I don't think those words go well together. And the subtitle was New Paradigms for Intercultural Educators, Trainers, and Researchers. And that's how I look at this. I look at this as the new paradigms for the kind of work that we're doing. And that's how I see what we're doing with this podcast. We're going to be exploring these brain and mind sciences and looking at these new paradigms. So it's, it's nice uh, to be going this next step together with you.
1: No, I'm also looking forward to explore this. And I was challenged back then also by new paradigms. And I really think they are. And even more than, well, I might even fully grasp or understand. What does it mean to start in the work of an intercultural trainer and educator to start from from brain and mind uh, and watching how culture fits in and uh, what does it say us. So we're going to explore all these questions and uh, have conversations and I, I'm thrilled by the process.
0: today's episode has three parts. So what is an intercultural trainer or educator? And then what is this field of intercultural communication? And where is this field going? So let's start with what's it like to do intercultural work for a living? Mm -hmm. How how do you like, how do you like this field, Yvonne?
1: Yeah, it's a nice question. (laughs) Um, How do I, well, I, I work in this field for 17 years now and it sort of happened to become, you know, I never thought about it deliberately before, but it just happened out of experiences. And that's also what I see to many other colleagues working as intercultural coaches, consultants, trainers uh, and educators Usually they have started somewhere, and I started in anthropology and from International Development Corporation. I ended up in giving more and more trainings and then got interested in intercultural trainings. And yes, that's what I have been doing ever since. And where did you start, Joseph?
0: I discovered this field of intercultural communication in graduate school by reading a book by Edward Hall, and then by taking... uh, a workshop at the Summer Institute of Intercultural Communication in Portland, Oregon. I discovered the work of Milton Bennett, and I got so excited to discover that there were people out there thinking about and researching uh, all of these intercultural experiences that I'd been having. And My work is a bit different from yours. I think I work more in university education. I do work in some in business, but you're working more in business and you've been working with Dutch diplomats recently as well, right?
1: Yes, exactly. Seeing my background, I have worked mainly with with non-governmental organizations and also with governmental organizations and less in business, but always internationally. And uh, most recently, I also work with diplomats and even travel to embassies of the Netherlands across the globe, uh, where you have those multicultural teams. Um, And and of course, you know, those teams and they can outperform homogeneous teams, but you know how to use the diversity and find the surplus value uh, and also, well, avoid the misunderstandings that you can have, even though you work together as a team. So I find it interesting to work in those team settings, but also I do many other things, and especially now with the pandemic, it's all online. And we also have challenges in online collaboration uh, interculturally. So that's like a new, well, (laughs) branch on the tree. And what about you? What are the things you usually do and what's the new uh, stuff?
0: I do work with businesses, but most of my work is in the university setting. And I work a lot with students who are going abroad, who are studying abroad, and also with people who are learning a foreign language. I came into this field originally through learning a foreign language, living in Mexico, running a language school there, being a language teacher in Japan as well. And I'm particularly interested in the way that learning a foreign language also involves exploring another cultural world or other cultural worlds.
1: Yeah, it's really intriguing, Joseph, that you said all this. I'm listening attentively. And what I enjoy in your work is also that you combine culture and language and you combine it in such, well, an eloquent way, I must say. Um, it's interesting that in many languages you have words that are not translatable, but it's also, it's not only grammar what you say, it's also worlds of meaning and, and it, it touches upon culture.
0: And there's this there's this contradiction because people say, well, language and culture are very closely related. At the same time, linguistics and anthropology are very different fields. And so it's not always easy to bring those two things together. But that's one of my areas of particular interest. I think that we can divide intercultural work as a profession into three broad areas. One is education, uh, international education, language teaching, study abroad. Then there's business, so that international companies, for example, who have diverse teams, like the work, the work that you're doing. I sometimes have done work with expatriates who are going to be managing in a foreign country, and they need to learn um, cultural competencies for working in that country. And then, of course, there are there's academia, there's research. I do some research as well, particularly in the area of intercultural adaptation and the psychology of experiencing a new culture. So it's a, it's a pretty wide field. What do you like and not like? What are the... <laughs> <laughs> what should we call these? The, the joys and the frustrations of working in this field for you?
1: Yeah, or the joy and the challenges. <laughs> yeah, let's. Yeah, right, we're let's not supposed see. to
0: not supposed to call them frustrations.
1: Yeah, exactly. Well, the joy is well also feeling to contribute to understanding. For me, that's that's maybe even more than a joy. It's like. F- a fulfilling uh, kind of thing, you know, when people really have irritations and finally find out that's because we come from different, well, Thing, we different logics we really see things in a different way and we had to laugh when we started recording the podcast that we were so accurate on time you know but time in my understanding is also sometimes very irritating for people who have different perceptions and Edward T. Hall you just <laughs> mentioned him he came up with it and then really explored it well so that's absolute a joy when people also understand it's, it's not you know there's also a cultural element to behavior and, and you have to become aware and then talk about it and for instance and, and to come to grips uh, with it
0: I really like the aha moments <laughs> when Mm, you discover these parts of yourself that you were never aware of. And whenever you go into a foreign environment or you're learning uh, a foreign language or spending time in a foreign country, it's not just that you're learning new things about the foreign place or this new place or this exotic place. You're learning things about yourself. And I'm always fascinated by how people experience this kind of this, this, the insight that you get into yourself from these foreign experiences. And that's, of course, one of the things that Edward Hall focused on, the, the psychology of these intercultural experiences. So those are some of the things I love, but are there challenges
1: in this work for you, Ivan? Oh, yes, of course, there are challenges. And just what you say it's also about insight in yourself and and for instance also in biases and well many things um and not everybody likes to go there <laughs> so that's a challenge and and some people also think you ju- just give me the do's and don'ts and and to go beyond that point take people on a journey and also it, it's about discovering and learning and Well, it can be challenging, uh, especially when people are sent to training courses and it's obligatory uh, to work with them. But over time, my um, experience is that usually you can reach something, uh, but that can be challenging, actually.
0: Well, when you are talking about these do's and don'ts, so you are referring, for example, to someone, so to an organization that says, "Well, we're going to have people working in country X, so please give them a four-hour training on what they should and shouldn't do." Or, uh, you know, exactly. so their ex- so their expectations about intercultural work are very superficial. They're thinking about intercultural ability just in terms of something like etiquette. Is that right?
1: Exactly, and. In your the case you were living in Japan, and you've been living there for well quite a while, and people think that in half day in an afternoon, you know we have the do's and don'ts on how to work in japan, and well, by telling and living there, you know you're learning each day you know so that's the contrast
0: i had a recently had i had an an executive who was starting to work in Japan he was from Germany. And I asked him, well, how has it been going since you've started working here? And he said, oh, everything is fine. I'm having no problems at all. I said, well, that's really great. He said, well, there is just one tiny thing. You know, when I, at a meeting, when I ask people, do you have any questions? They say nothing and no questions. And then the meeting is over. And then at the end of the meeting, people come up to me and they start to ask me questions. So what should I do? <laughs> and this is really so typical that something which seems so small, like do you ask a question or not, is really the tip of the iceberg. If you're just looking at this in terms of, of behavior, of etiquette, you're just scratching the surface. So that's really interests me. But it's also a challenge for me as well. Because if people are expecting just behavioral do's and don'ts, uh, they may not be ready to question themselves. They may not be ready to ask themselves difficult questions. So let's move on to this second question we wanted to talk about. What is the theory and research that's being used in this field? I have students, for example, who tell me, you know, I never knew there was such a field as intercultural communication. How can I learn more about this? And it's a difficult question because there are university programs in intercultural communication, for example, but they're not that common. So the question, what do you have to study in order to learn more deeply about this field is really not an easy question to answer. So one place to start this question is how you got into this field and and how you learned the deeper side of these issues. You you have a background in anthropology, right?
1: Yes, I have a background in anthropology. And yet, at that time, well, I'm not sure if it had was related to that time, but we just didn't explicitly work on intercultural communication. So it's only later, actually, that I discovered, for instance, Hofstede's work, his landmark studies on cultural dimensions, and from one thing came the other. So then usually you bump into like some other well names, larger names uh, and, and works, uh, and. What I also found uh, important is having a network of other people working in this field. And CETAR community has been very important for for my development. And by so, CETAR,
0: you're talking about the Society for Intercultural Education, Training and Research. Exactly. Which is one of the main uh, academic associations or professional associations related to intercultural work. Yes, But I agree. It's not easy to know where to look. And you mentioned uh, Geert Hofstetter. He's one of the big names, uh, particularly in the field of intercultural communication in business, intercultural management. Um, I came to this through discovering Edward Hall and then taking a workshop at the Summer Institute of Intercultural Communication in Portland, Oregon. But recently, there's been all of this new research coming out, but it's not from the people who are calling themselves intercultural communication specialists. And I'm thinking about research in cognitive science and social psychology and cultural neuroscience. How did you discover the brain and mind science side of this field?
1: Well, maybe it started with like a gut feeling and and also linking a bit to to neuroscience. And actually, then I bumped into (laughs) the workshop you were giving and conducting at at the Congress. And I thought, well, let's join. (laughs) So here I found myself in your workshop. And that was the time that you were writing on your book, The Intercultural Mind. And well, that's also where our, our where we got connected and and our our professional relationship started. So actually, um, I found it very interesting, all the work that you had been doing and that you published in the Intercultural Mind.
0: There isn't an exact starting place for people who are interested in learning about this field. But one way to think about it is if there's one book, for example, that we could recommend... For someone who's interested in this, what would you say would be one book to recommend?
1: Yeah, of course. Well, I just mentioned your book. <laughs> no, <laughs> I would really recommend it. Um, and besides that, what, what the book I also found very interesting was Richard Nismet's. Um And it already starts with the title. It's The Geography of Thought and How Westerners and Asians Think Differently and Why. And it, it really gives an understanding and deep level on on mind and how cognitive processes work and how differently and, and how hard actually communication and understanding is. So I, I was actually really intrigued by this work.
0: I loved this book, uh, The Geography of Thought. What a wonderful name. And Richard Nisbet is a specialist in understanding cognitive processes. And he is interested in how culture shapes cognition. So I've heard, for example, someone say, when a Chinese person sees a wall, an American sees a brick. And the image, of course, is of a brick wall. And we're both looking at the same thing, but our attention or is focused in a different way. We are experiencing that in a different way. Are we looking at it as an object, as a collection of bricks that is in a wall? Or are we seeing the wall as as a whole? And this kind of subject-object thinking versus more holistic thinking, this is not something that's analytic. It's not something we're thinking about. It's just the way that we're used to perceiving the world. We think of thought as just being thought, as though it's the same everywhere, especially if we are used to thinking, well, all, all human beings are the same. We all have the same brains. Uh, so you'd think that our thinking is all the same, but it's really not that simple. So I really also highly recommend that book. And I think he's a really important pioneer in this field. What is on the horizon for this field, this field of intercultural communication. We are at the beginning of the 21st century. There's a lot going on in the world. Um, how are you feeling about the intercultural field, Yvonne?
1: We need to work cross-culturally. We we need to solve our issues on, on a global scale and work across borders. And that's where intercultural communication come in. So I, I think our field is... Important, and yes, uh, in the way we work, uh, we need to develop and, and continue developing, and sometimes I see some developments that seem to go the way to more towards do's and don'ts. Well, actually we have to go and turn the other way around. So I see this as a challenge we well we we, we need to face. and what do you see?
0: You know, you use the word interconnected. It's easier and easier to be connected. And it's easier and easier to have a superficial understanding of cultural difference. But to solve big problems really requires deeper understanding. And I don't have the feeling that that deeper intercultural understanding is getting easier these days. So this is a contradiction that we're more interconnected yet this is not necessarily creating deeper intercultural understanding. And that's how I see this brain and mind sciences as well related to this, that this kind of deeper understanding requires self-understanding. It requires looking into our own own minds and developing as human beings. So I see the brain and, and mind sciences as being really important for the field of intercultural understanding and intercultural communication, there are certainly plenty of challenges in the world. And I think we need more bridge people.
1: Yeah, exactly. I also think that many of our listeners are these bridge people. And and it's about also understanding that culture is deep, uh, it's complex, and it's also intense in the way, you know, it's not only cognitive, it's also emotional, you know. Sometimes you get upset or irritated or whatever, furious maybe. Um, and, and dealing with all these kind of things um, and learning to deal with it and, and sort of transfer that to workplace and to solve complex cross-cultural issues. Uh, we need bridge people, definitely.
0: One of the things I like about the work that you do, Yvonne, is that you like me see a connection between intercultural work and growing as a human being
1: yeah it's probably you cannot split it it would be very <laughs> well uh, schizophrenic um so yes it's it's about development human development and and also development in in all these contexts yeah that we live and work in
0: i'm hoping that with this podcast, we can also focus on this kind of personal side of intercultural experiences. We're not going to be just introducing, you know, brain science research. Let's try and find this balance between the, the soft heart and the, and the hard science. Mm-hmm. So it's about time for us to wrap up this episode. We will be back next time talking about Edward Hall. So thank you, Yvonne, and I look forward to seeing you next time. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the Deep Culture Podcast. Rate us, write a comment, get in touch, share your thoughts about today's episode. You can write us at dcpodcast at japanintercultural.org or leave a comment on our website at www.japanintercultural.org or just do a web search for podcast Japan Intercultural Institute. This podcast is sponsored by the Japan Intercultural Institute, which is an NPO dedicated to intercultural education and research. Thanks to Robinson Fritz for all his technical support and sound design. And thanks to Chris Koyama, our production assistant. And we'll see you next time.